Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everybody. Well, we want to welcome you back from Easter. We trust you had uh, some extra time with those that you love and really enjoyed your Easter. We had a very special Easter here at Grace Crossing Church, three services. Saw about a dozen people um, or so cross the line of faith uh, in our three services. We baptized seven people in our three services. So it was just a tremendous day of celebrating the resurrected Christ. And if you were with us, grateful that you were here. Really glad to have you back again. Now, this morning, we're beginning a brand new series Uh, our post-Easter series entitled Kingdom Come. Before I jump into the new series, however, let me mention that next weekend, uh, we have a special guest that will be joining us here at Grace Crossing Church. As many of you know, I uh, work and and serve with an international ministry, a leadership training ministry called Equip Leadership Canada. And next weekend, we have the privilege of having the founder and the executive director of Equip Leadership Canada here with us. He is a tremendous servant leader. He's a kingdom thinker. He's a guy that I think you're going to just be encouraged by hearing the stories of what God is doing globally through Equip Leadership Canada. So we just encourage you next weekend, you know here at Grace Crossing, it's a big deal for us to have somebody come in and speak here uh, outside of our team. So this is going to be a really special day and we trust that you'll make plans to join us. Now, if you were to ask me the question this morning, what was the primary reason that Jesus Christ came to earth? I would answer it this way. Jesus came to usher in God's kingdom. Jesus didn't want, we sang it this morning, Jesus did not want heaven without us. So he brought heaven without us to us. When you look at the Gospels and you look at the letters of the New Testament, we can conclude with a high degree of reasonable certainty that the reason Jesus came was to bring the kingdom of heaven here to this earth and have it work actually here on this earth. So Jesus establishes his ministry priorities In his first recorded sermon that we read about in the Gospels, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Contained right in the center of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus utters a prayer. We know it today as the Lord's Prayer. Many of us in this auditorium have prayed this prayer. In fact, we, if you grew up like I did in a home that was a Catholic home, you may have learned to memorize this particular prayer. And yet it's a powerful prayer that many of us don't really think about the words that we are saying. Let me say this before we read it. If you want to know what a person really values, just listen to them pray. Because nothing will tell you the values of a person more than the content of their prayers. So here's what Jesus prays. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So after Jesus tells us 
who it is we pray to, our Father who is in heaven, he then tells us how we are to pray. And the very first three words that he uses are these words, your kingdom come. That was the headline of the ministry of Jesus. When Jesus came to this earth, he explicitly repeats this over and over and over again in the Gospels. He says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. He says, the kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God has come to the earth. So it was a powerful principle that Jesus establishes from the beginning of his ministry, and he carries it all the way through his ministry, all the way through his crucifixion and his resurrection. When Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, Jesus had in mind lost people that were going to be found. Jesus had in mind broken people that were going to be restored. He had in mind marginalized people who were going to be included that had not been included. This kingdom was a sphere of influence that was so large, so significant, so profound, that it would literally revolutionize the entire world. The question this morning is, what did Jesus have in mind with those three words? All the little times that we've prayed the Lord's Prayer, have you ever stopped to think about that? What was Jesus getting at? I like how he ends the Lord's Prayer. Actually, verse number 13. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So notice how Jesus bookends the Lord's Prayer. He starts with kingdom. He ends the prayer with kingdom. The kingdom of God is the movement of God founded upon the person of Jesus and expanded by all of those who embrace his values and his priorities. The kingdom of God is comprised of those who hear the words of Jesus and then act upon them. It is not just those who hear his words. It is actually those who put legs to them. So when Jesus spoke of the kingdom, unlike the religious leaders of his day, Jesus referred to the kingdom as both something among us and something within us. You see, they always thought that the kingdom of of heaven was up there. And then the Jewish people, when the temple was erected, that, that God was confined to there. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes and he says, no, it's not just among you, but the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, which he uses the terms interchangeably, is actually within you. See, to Jesus, it was less about a realm and more about a reign of power. It was much more about the power than it was about the place. And so this morning, we're going to actually zoom out on this idea of kingdom in this very first talk, and we're going to do a panoramic view of the kingdom of God. If you've got a smartphone, you've got to love your panoramic pictures. If you have a flip phone, I am so sorry for you that you don't get to enjoy that. Yes, there are still people that carry flip phones. They're holding out to the bitter end. But if you have a smartphone, you you know what panoramic 
photography looks like, right? Nothing like taking a panoramic view. Well, this morning, let's do that. Because there are three aspects of God's kingdom that I want us to think about this morning, that I want God to be able to etch into our hearts. Let me begin by stating the obvious. God's kingdom has a king. That's the very first aspect of God's kingdom you and I've got to understand. God's kingdom has a king. When Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer, Jesus was uttering and issuing a self-fulfilling prophecy. With those words, Jesus is actually already predicting himself as the king. So if there's a kingdom, then it only stands to reason that there would also be a king, right? So hours before the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate. He's being questioned. He's being cross-examined. Pontius Pilate, who is the, the governor of the province of Judea, is standing and he had heard all of the accusations that had been railed against Jesus, and now Pontius Pilate has one final question to ask Jesus. In John chapter 18, here was his question. Pilate then went back inside the palace. Notice where he was. He was in a place where he was the highest authority. He was viewed as the supreme leader. He summoned Jesus and he asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Now I want you to notice what Jesus says here and what Jesus does not say. Jesus does not declare himself a president or a prime minister or a governor. He declares himself a king. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. He did not say my kingdom is not in this world. He said it's not of this world. It's otherworldly. You'll never be able to understand the kingdom of God with a natural mind. And the third thing I want you to notice that Jesus says here is Jesus actually says this was the reason that I was born. The final statement that he makes is this. He says, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Now, it's an interesting word in the Greek language. Because whenever we hear the word testify, we often think of that word as, as being a witness in a courtroom. Somebody who is avowing to what they saw or what they heard. They are testifying. But actually that's not the Greek word that's used here. It's a much deeper word. 
It's a word in first century Greek culture that, that referred to an experimentation that took place in a laboratory. It meant to validate or to authenticate something as real. So here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I was not born into royalty, I am royalty. Jesus is saying, I I was not born to become a king, I am born as a king, and I'm about to prove to you how profound my kingdom is. I'm going to go ahead, give up my own life, so that this kingdom of God can be transported into the hearts of multitudes of people and will expand far beyond the reaches of Jerusalem. You're about to see the kingdom authenticated and validated and proved to be just what I promised that it was. So hundreds of years before Jesus is born, the prophet Isaiah actually foretells of the kingdom of God. He foretells of the king, Jesus. In a passage of scripture that is a messianic passage that we often use at Christmas time. But here's the, 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 the prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For a child, notice this, a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now notice this. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. You can always tell when God's kingdom is at work. Because it will always have the earmarks of justice and righteousness. Those are two dead giveaways that God's kingdom is at work. Because justice is going to, to be promoted and righteousness is going to exalt a people who actually believe in the king. Of his kingdom and of his government, there will be no end to its increase. Which brings us to a second aspect of God's kingdom that I want you to hear this morning. God's kingdom has a king, but God's kingdom also has citizens. God's kingdom has citizens. Citizenship is the highest privilege that can be afforded by a nation on its residents. Like you, I never take my citizenship for granted. So a few weeks ago when we traveled to Washington, D.C., I actually had an interview with Homeland Security because I wanted to move my TSA approval for travel to what's called a global pass, a global entry pass. And to do that, the final step of it is you have to actually meet with and have an interview at Homeland Security. What a joy to walk in there and know that I am a citizen in good standing with the United States of America. I don't have to walk into a a meeting like that with our government and ever wonder or fear what's going to happen to me because I am a citizen of this country, which means I carry all of the rights and the privileges and the opportunities that come with citizenship. You may not be a citizen of the United States here today, but you are a citizen somewhere. And in some country, you have been given the ability and the rights and the privileges that come with citizenship. It's a high honor, isn't it? 
Now this morning, here's the question. How do I become a citizen of God's kingdom? If God's kingdom has citizens, then we need to understand how we become citizens of God's kingdom. Jesus gives us the answer to this in a conversation that he's having with a Jewish scholar by the name of Nicodemus. And in John's Gospel, chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to him at night because he fears the repercussion from the Jews. He fears what would happen to him if they knew that he was seeking out Jesus. And Jesus engages in a conversation with Nicodemus. Here's what he says. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Now here's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, and many people read this passage, and they believe this passage is exclusively about the new birth. It isn't. It's actually about something so much greater, so much more than even what happens at new birth. This passage of Scripture, when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, is actually about citizenship. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, there are no natural-born citizens in God's kingdom. Just because you are a Jew does not make you a natural-born citizen in God's kingdom. There are only naturalized people. Those who have been born of water but also have been born of God's spirit. You see, flesh can only give you citizenship of a fleshly kingdom, an earthly kingdom. But the Spirit of God can give you birth and can give you citizenship in God's kingdom. And so what a human birth can do for you, natural birth can do, spiritual birth does in God's economy. And what he says is the new birth. When you actually come to faith in Christ, You are actually born anew, and you now become a citizen. And there are two aspects of this citizenship that Jesus talks about here. He first of all says at the beginning of this, truly I tell you, notice no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. The word see there in the original language is the exact same word from which we get the word translated optometry. What Jesus is talking about here is being able to see with eyes wide open, clearly. What he's suggesting is beyond and outside the new birth, you can't see all the kingdom of God has for you. You'll never comprehend it. You'll never understand it until you see it with your own eyes. Now, by now, many of you have heard about this caravan of migrants that is traveling up north from Central America. By this week, they're expected to make it all the way to Mexico City. Many of them are fleeing hardship in their countries in Central America, and they're looking and seeking asylum, some right here in the United States. 
And the question is, why, why do people come to this country? It's because they have heard something. It's because they have seen something from afar, a distance. And it looks so good. And it's so appealing that they'll risk virtually anything to be a part of it. Well, that's what Jesus here is saying. Listen, you can only see it from a distance, but when you enter into it, all of a sudden you now see it with your own eyes. Your eyes become wide open to all that God's kingdom affords you. And that's the second thing he talked about. The second aspect of this new birth, the Bible says, is that we enter in. We actually are afforded all of the rights and all of the privileges and all of the opportunities that come with the new birth. It makes us citizens of God's kingdom. Now, Paul the Apostle actually talked about this. In Philippians chapter 3, he says this, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Which what Paul is saying there is, when you come to faith in Christ, you don't give up your earthly citizenship, you actually become a dual citizen. Your citizenship is now in heaven as much as it is here on earth. So live like that. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with God's people, and you are members of God's household. That's really significant. Because when we become citizens of God's kingdom, we actually adopt the values, the ideals, the language of the brand new kingdom, the nation that has afforded us citizenship. It means that we begin to align our allegiance to that authority. We begin to live like we are citizens of that kingdom. And, and, and the Bible and Jesus used a word for all of those people who would actually become citizens of God's kingdom. The term that he uses is found in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16. And here's what it says, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The kingdom of God is the power. The church is the people. They are the people that have been empowered by God's kingdom. They have been given the rights, the privileges, and all of the benefits that go along with being citizens of God's kingdom. So Jesus here says, I will build my church. And notice it, there's another power that's at work in the world that's going to come against it. It's the power of hell itself. But my kingdom, the power of my kingdom, is so much stronger than the power of the enemy's kingdom that it will not be able to prevail against my people who have been empowered, been authorized by my kingdom. Now this is really important because I don't often do this uh, when I share, but, but there's a word that Jesus used here for church. I'm going to use the Greek word this morning because it's a powerful word. It's the word ekklesia. And that word ekklesia in the Greek 
is not a religious term. Many people, when they hear the word church, they think it is a religious institution. But the word ecclesia was, was grabbed right from first century culture, was brought into the writing of the scripture, and the word actually means a people that have been called out from, people that actually have been called out of something and into something else. So in first century Greek culture, it referred to those who would congregate and would actually have conversations about things and, and many times make decisions. In the Roman government, the Roman Senate was called the ecclesia. It meant that it was the place where all of the power and influence in Rome resided. It would be like a, a cabinet in our democracy today. And so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I never had an intention that my church would simply be a place that would be a religious institution. The church that I am creating is not a place you go, it is a people who go. It is a people who understand who they are and a people who live like they are citizens of God's kingdom. Here's what Jesus had in mind. Jesus had in mind that we would be a spiritual embassy here on this earth. Whenever I travel, I love to know more about our embassy in those countries. Because an embassy is a place that actually is a sovereign space for our country in a foreign land. That's exactly what Jesus had in mind when he said, I'll build my church. He had in mind that we would be in a hostile place, that we would be in a foreign place, that we would be in a place that would not necessarily embrace all the values and principles of Christ, but that we were in a sovereign, sacred space together, called out from the world, called together to be and form God's people here on this earth. And notice what Jesus says. He says, I'll build my church. Jesus did not say, that we would build our church. He did not say we would build his church. He didn't say he'd build our church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overpower it. Which brings us to a third aspect of God's kingdom. Because not only did he make this promise, but he goes on to say this in verse number 19. And I will give you the keys I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus here does not say, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. We've already received entrance as God's people into the kingdom. What we don't need is we don't need keys to open up the door to new birth. Jesus makes that possible for us. But what he says he would give us is the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Which means that he would do something through us and he would give us some gifts and benefits that would go along with this kingdom that would allow us to live as God's citizens here on this earth. Now, the key to the keys of God's kingdom and the keys of his kingdom are not having the keys. 
you could actually have keys and have no clue what they're for. Right? Have you, have you ever gotten a box out in your house or stumbled upon something, an old place filled with stuff you had stored there, and all of a sudden you find these keys and you go, I have no clue. I have no clue what those keys are for. It's happened more than one occasion in my home where we came upon a key and we absolutely had no idea what the key was for, what it went to. So the key is not having keys. The key is knowing what to do with them, how to use them, and what their intended purpose is. Because having a key that you don't know what it's for is as useless as not having a key in the first place. So there is a place that in New England that I've eaten at many, many times, actually, through the years. It's called Jokins. And if you've ever been up to New England and you've ever been up to New Hampshire, especially before 2004, you probably remember this particular restaurant in Portsmouth. Today, the restaurant is not there. It was bought out. It no longer stands, but the sign still stands. It's a historical landmark in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. What I loved about Jokin's, there she blows, is you would go there and you would get this wonderful seafood dinner, and at the end of the meal, they'd bring you the check, and they'd also bring you with the check a key. And the key went to a treasure chest in the back of their gift shop. It was a brilliant marketing strategy. Brilliant. You couldn't get to the chest to see if the key worked without walking through the gift shop. I used to get so excited when the check came. Because I just, I wanted to be the one who walked back there. And open that chest to see if that key worked. How many of you think I ever had a key that worked? I don't think anybody ever had a key that worked. I don't think that was the purpose. The purpose was to get you through the gift shop. Here's the thing. God has given us these keys of his kingdom, and they unlock something. They're powerful. But what we've got to understand is what are these keys for, and how do we use them? For the next number of weeks, we're going to talk about that. This morning, let me leave you with this. There are three things about keys that are significant. First of all, keys give you access. When you get a key, you have access. I will never forget around Christmas of 2009 when the key to this building was handed to me along with a mortgage, right? So I took the key, and I recognized that there was an M on that key, which meant that's the master key. That unlocks and opens every single door and every single room in this building. I had access at that moment. I could come and go as I please. I could lock it. I could unlock it. And today we have a multitude of keys that open up different things, but there are still just a few master keys that give access to everything. And the reality is this, God wants us to understand that my keys give you access into my kingdom, into my presence, and into power that you've got to access. Second thing about keys is they give us, they authorize us. Whenever someone gives you a key, they are authorizing you to use it on their behalf. You ever borrowed someone's car? 
I have a key to my mother and father-in-law's home in eastern Pennsylvania, which means I can come and go into that home. It's not my home. I don't own it. I don't pay any of the bills with it. But I have the privilege that's been afforded to me. I've been authorized to use it. And the third thing about keys that I want to leave you with this morning is keys give us authority. They give us authority. Whenever we are entrusted with a key, we are given both authority and responsibility. And I want you to notice how Jesus ended his life here on this earth. Final, one of the final things Jesus spoke was this in Matthew's gospel, chapter 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now notice this, therefore, because I have all this authority, I'm now entrusting it to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We've been given the keys of the kingdom of God, which give us access into God's presence. They authorize us, and they give us God's authority here on this earth. When Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, that's what he had in mind. He had in mind a people that would hear his words and would then act upon them with his authority and with his full authorization to be his people, to be his citizens, his representatives here in this foreign place. This is not our home. If you are a citizen of heaven, this is not your permanent residence. We're going to one day be together as a much bigger family in God's presence where every tribe, tongue, and nation are going to gather. Those who have surrendered their life to Jesus and have submitted themselves to his leadership, all of these kingdom people, these citizens are going to gather one day. Until then, I want to remind you of this, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. The kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. In other words, the kingdom of God is not about just simply talking about God's kingdom. It's not simply knowing the right answers. It's not being a theologian. It is about taking the power that has been entrusted to us and living it here on this earth. God's kingdom doesn't consist in words. It consists in power. And to that end, I pray that we here at Grace Crossing Church will be empowered by God's Spirit, who's given us new birth but has also given us the keys of the kingdom of God so that we can be his ambassadors here on this earth. Stand with me, please, as we pray this morning. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes, and I want to pray that the Lord this morning would, would take these words and take these truths, and that as we reflect upon them, as we think about them,
as through this week we think about God's kingdom coming into our hearts in a greater way and into this church in a greater way. What is it God would ask of us? What is it God would ask of you? What God is looking for is people who are available and people who are submitted to his authority. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would help each of us, that as we think about over these next number of weeks the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the kingdom of God, help our hearts to come alive in a fresh way, and that each one of us would understand the power of what we have been given here on this earth. that we are Christ's ambassadors as though Christ were appealing through us be reconciled to God. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to live our lives even this week as kingdom agents, as citizens of your kingdom so that those who interact with us, that hear us, that see us, that experience us can taste and see that God is good and that God loves them. My prayer is that you, Lord, would take our lives, take this church, your church, that you promised you would build, and do with us, Lord, what you desire. I pray in Christ's name that you would be glorified in this local church, Grace Crossing Church. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Before you leave this morning, one final thing I want to mention. In just a a couple of weeks here, we have an event called Discover GCC. Discover GCC is a luncheon that is designed for those who are newcomers here at Grace Crossing Church. If you are newer to Grace Crossing Church and uh, you'd like to know more about our church, more about our vision, mission, values, more about how you can get involved, I want to encourage you to take the connection card or go to the website this morning and register for Discover GCC. It's going to be held on the 29th of April, immediately following our second service. But we would encourage you to make plans to join us. We'd love to have you there, love to be able to connect with you and give you a chance to get to know more about Grace Crossing Church. Thanks again for being here this morning. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www gracecrossingchurch.net We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.